Thanks for listening to the River in the Hills Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. All right, we're here. Love you guys. Who was here in November when we, my family was here? Oh, not good. Only like less than half. Well, this is going to be fun because the Lord's about to break in. It is electric in here. This is one. You ever hear those, those old charismatic sayings that you could talk about cows and the glory will come? This is one of those atmospheres. It don't matter what you talk about. <laughs> the Lord's here. So um, we had a cool situation at Butler Park yesterday, too. I, we, we waited in like a two-hour line for Terry Black's barbecue. Dude. Hold on a second. So I'm from Kansas City. And you know there's a lot of pride around Kansas City barbecue. Dude, I'm about to tell you, I, I think Terry Black's is the best barbecue I've ever had. I'm just going to say I think. I mean, I'm just being safe. Someone's going to call me out or something, but it was phenomenal. But anyways, I come back from waiting in this two-hour line, and they just led this dude to the Lord at the park. No, for real. Like, this dude got saved at the park yesterday. He's crying, touched by the Lord. Our students must have spent at least an hour with this guy, and it was just awesome. So, guys... We're so happy to be here. I hope you students. Let's go. Three of our students and leaders are over at Hyde Park Baptist this morning. So pray with them. We're doing a big prayer event with them Wednesday night. It's going to be epic. So, so they went over there to be with the pastor's name there is Kai Bowman. And they went over to be with him this morning for a little bit. So anyway, so we're missing three. But they'll probably be here this afternoon, yeah? They'll be back here. Awesome. I just wanted to say, guys, this is not hype. Like, I don't, I don't want to be hypey. For real, the water level is increasing every time that I've been here. I think this is my fourth time here speaking, and every it is so clear that the presence of God in the hunger and the the um the ease, you know, the Lord is desiring dwelling places. Right? We see this in Psalm one thirty two. David's gripped in his heart, and he's saying, you know, I will give no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I found a place for God. David was David had a radical, you know, pursuit of, listen, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a beloved. I mean, go back to 1 Samuel 13. The Lord's already told me I'm a man after his heart. He was very secure in who the Lord said he was. But he goes, it's one thing to say I'm a son of God. It's another thing to say I want my life and I want the places that I dwell, whether it's my home, whether it's my church. I want to live a lifestyle that would attract heaven in a way where God actually can find places to dwell and rest. This is not salvation. This is not, oh, he's a dwelling place in me. This is different. There are tangible, physical places where through the Lord's looking across the earth saying, like, are there people that are willing to sacrifice, that are willing to say no to the American dream. You know, David's saying, I'll sacrifice sleep for this. I think it's clear when he says, I'll give no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I found a dwelling place for God. And there's places all across the earth, you know, houses of prayer, not, not just houses of prayer, but places that prioritize the presence of God. And what happens over time is as we stay committed to that call, it starts getting easier and easier and easier. And I was with a friend in Traverse City, Michigan, who leads a, who's been leading a house of prayer for 10 years just a couple of months ago. And we were out to dinner, and he broke down crying at the dinner table. And he was just talking about how there's a pain in the Lord's heart because so many places around the earth, he has to fight with his people to dwell there. 
And the Lord's, I mean, my, my buddy's crying at the dinner table. Like the Lord does not want to have to fight with his people anymore. You know what I mean? Continually trying to get us to forsake our other lovers and fill in the blank. And guys, I just want to say like for real, like it is getting thicker in here. It's getting easier to engage in here. It's getting easier to press in. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. So Glenn and Suzanne and Kyle and everyone involved, guys, good job. Like the Lord is very, very pleased. So, all right, so here's what we're going to talk about. I got 30 minutes and then we're going to pray for everybody and it's going to be awesome. The Lord's, Glenn, I was joking, I was, when you were out of the room, I was joking, it's one of those atmospheres where I could say anything and the Lord will come, <laughs> you know, like you say anything and the anointing's going to come, so, but hopefully I'll stay biblical. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't, un, so for, there may be a few in the room that are unfamiliar with the International House of Prayer, I'll give you one minute on it. So in Kansas City, there is a ministry that we're all a part of called the International House of Prayer. And we have had a night and day worship and prayer meeting that has not ended for almost 23 years. I'm not exaggerating. 23 years, we have worship teams that rotate around the clock every two hours. We've got about 400-ish staff that have all left every, from all over the world. You could, you could close your eyes and spin in a circle in our prayer room and point to someone and take them out to lunch, and they have the most ridiculous story how they got there. <laughs> like, no one was just like, yeah, it's a good idea. I showed up. You'll get, you'll get kicked out real quick if that's why you came. Our worship leaders get crushed instantly because it's not, it's not, it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not big stages with big lights. Like people come because they're marked with God and they find out real quickly this, you know, because, because you can be a talented musician and make it onto a lot of worship teams, but you won't last very long at IHOP because you're in a room with no windows. Nobody cares that you're there, especially the night watchers, because <laughs> those guys are doing the midnight to 6 a.m. And I don't even know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely ever see him. One of our students just raised their hand. I'm one of them. So it's just this beautiful place because people from all over the world have somehow, some way gotten gripped with this vision of night and day prayer. Then they somehow found out about this crazy group of people in Kansas City, and they, everyone just has this wild story. Like my father-in-law, for instance. My father-in-law, 10 years ago, something like that, 10, 10, 11 years ago, they're deacons in a great church, and the Lord speaks to, to Landry, this is my wife, by the way, wave your hand, the Lord speaks, yes, the Lord speaks, I told Amy, she's 10 times more anointed than me, it's scary, she breaks all the prophecy rules, because she's that accurate, she nails it, she's directional, so get ready, guys, your future will be told today, my wife is in, my wife, <laughs> My wife is so insane in a good way. But, but like, like, for instance, for instance, uh, so for real, for instance, her parents, I mean, craziest story. 11 years ago, they're deacons in a church. They're doing, I think they're ushering at the church. Her mom and her dad are on the other sides of the sanctuary, and the Lord tells them both, you're to leave this church today. Not because the church was bad, but you're to leave this. I'm going to show you something different. And they end up in a wilderness season for three, four years, stopped going to church, not because they were jaded towards the church, they were so wrecked and they could not find something that was expressing that which was going on on the inside. And, and, and her dad, Denny, is, I mean, hours a day, fasting three days a week, like, Lord, like, what is going on with me? Am I out of my mind? Are there people that think like me? He's got a little Elijah syndrome on him. You know, he's in the cave out in the farm in Michigan. And, 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 and somebody shows up one morning and drops a bag of DVDs or VHS tapes, probably back then, drops a bag of VHS tapes on his front doorstep. He doesn't know what they are. 
and it's the prophetic history of IHOP KC, 10-part series, Mike Bickle telling all these ridiculous encounters he had in the 80s that is birthing this global prayer movement. He puts the tapes in on the TV and goes, honey, you got to see this. And they go through all the tapes, and they go, who are these people? They fly to Kansas City. They see it for the first time. They tell, they tell Landry she's, she's partying, high school girl. They go, listen, we'll fund anything you want to do, but you can't, I won't give you any money unless you go to the International House of Prayer for an internship. <laughs> Because <laughs> they knew they knew the Lord would get a hold of her. And, uh, and so my wife and I met during that time. And so we literally, including all the students, we all are what we call ourselves intercessory missionaries. So we all, we, my wife and I have, been, have the privilege of doing this now for 12 years. So we have been in full-time ministry now for 12 years. And so our entire missions base, we all have our own special and specific assignments. Like some people have, you know, ministries in Africa and homeless ministries. And, you know, I, I kind of do a bunch of things. I travel a lot and I help lead a college ministry. But what we all have in common that doesn't change is we all spend 24 hours a week in our prayer room. So all of our full-time staff, we believe that if we give half of a schedule to ministry, it'll be a thousand times more fruitful if we, where a normal ministry grinds 40 hours a week and there might be a 20-minute prayer meeting slipped in there throughout the week. We believe that God's looking for dwelling places. And so all of our staff, we all raise support, our own, we, none of us get paid, and we all raise our own money and we all give. We all are different parts of the, you know, different sections. So I help, I help lead the morning section. So I'm in the 6 a.m. to noon slot. But we all have signed up, about four or 500 of us, and we keep a 24-7 prayer room open. And then with the remainder of our you know, 40-hour-a-week schedule, we all then have our ministry assignments and the things that we do all across the earth and the nation. And so we're honored to be here. And I know ministries like River in the Hills, you guys have caught the vision from a distance upper room, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are getting a, gri a grip, uh, getting a vision for the house of prayer. So amen. And we're just honored to be here. So uh, I think this is IHOPU's fourth, no, th third ministry trip, third ministry trip uh, to Austin, Texas to be with you guys. And so we've got teams spread out all over the nation right now. There's a, there's a team in San Francisco. There's a team in New York City. There's a team in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's a team, they're all over the place, Colorado. So it's epic. So with the remaining time, I want to talk to you guys the best that I can in this short window. I want to talk to you guys about living a life that's set on God's vision and eternity and the return of Christ. Deal? The greatest trap that we have, especially in America and especially in beautiful Lakeway, Texas. Guys, this place is beautiful. I took a three-mile walk this morning uh, somewhere. I was somewhere in the hills. And I just, no, and it's, it's incredible. And it's beautiful. And it is. And it's amazing. And my wife and I, my wife's a designer, full-time interior designer. So we love beautiful homes, and we love beautiful spaces, and we love this stuff, but here's our challenge in American Christianity. Well, any, any, anywhere in the world, but I'm just gonna talk about America because I live here. Our challenge is that we live our life completely intoxicated by the American dream, and then we try to get God to slip into it. So we love Jesus, we have some quiet time with him. You know, we go to church on Sunday and we do everything that would say you're a successful Christian in the eyes of America. But yet we have never, but a lot of believers, we, we never step into the next place of intimacy where we begin to ask our father the question, what's the dream of your heart? I mean, how oft, how much of our prayer life is us asking God to bless our businesses, which is good. 
I mean, what is your external assignment? That's great. And be faithful to it and talk to God about your external assignment, of course. But rarely do we shift into a place of intimacy with, our, with the Lord where we go, but Lord, what is the desire of your heart? I'm not talking about the desire of your heart for me and my calling. What is the desire? Like, what are you doing? And the Lord's sitting on the edge of his seat looking over the earth going, guys, there's over 150 chapters in the Bible that have yet to be fulfilled. They're dreams, like big dreams within my heart. And yes, could being an interior designer like somehow play into the big story? Of course, like my wife and I celebrate business owners and businesses. That's what we do. I mean, my wife is, that's what she does. So this isn't a knock to like go hard in your calling as a businessman or whatever your external calling is. But the bigger desire in God's heart is, did you know, like I've got a real plan. Like I want to fulfill something. Like I have real desires. Like I've got something to say about Egypt. I got something to say about Ethiopia. No, like I'm talking about in the Bible here. I'm not just talking about like the Lord really has something for the football team down the street. Of course he does. But I'm talking about like Bible prophecy. Like God says something about Egypt. He says something about Ethiopia. He says something about the surrounding Middle Eastern nations. And he's got a whole lot to say about the city that's the apple of his eye. That city of Jerusalem. And the Lord's looking across the earth. Not that you'd become nerdy about the facts. God will raise up people to go deep in the facts, but that your heart would be tethered to a bigger vision so that when this, because guys, listen, you ever read, you ever read uh, uh, Revelation 17 and 18? This whole thing's going down. And every single one of you will be affected by it because the dollars that are in your hands, no matter how much they've been tithed out of, no matter how much they've been prayed over, they connect to a harlot system somewhere. The systems of this world where our money's being filtered into our hands through, it's a good thing, but it's all gonna crumble. And every single one of us in this room in that day, if we're living in the literal fulfillment of that day, we are gonna be touched by it. And in, and, in, and in Revelation 17 and 18, when the harlot Babylon system of this world comes down, it says all the business owners are gonna mourn and wail, like a deep wail, because so, because we have attached our ship. It actually says, it kind of gets weird in the language. It says we've drunk from her idolatry. And so guys, we've got to lift our eyes beyond what's happening here. And we got to say, Lord, how does my life fit into your story? And then what were the choices that I need to make to be somebody that's going to prepare others for what the Lord calls the great and terrible day of the Lord? And listen, I'm a joy, son of God junkie. I take communion every day, and I just meditate on Colossians 2, that because of the blood of Jesus, I've been brought near. I'm about that. So I'm not like the weird, can't have joy guy because it's all coming down. No, I love it. My wife and I just bought our first home. It's super cool. We painted it white. It's epic. We love that stuff. We love it. We love it. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, I've got to constantly ask myself the question, where are, am I attached to the systems of this world to a degree, God, that if you come and you shake this and my whole partnership based around ministry dies in a day, is it not, does it have a foothold in my heart in a way where I'm then going to be a part of what Jesus said in Luke 21, that many will be offended in that day? 
And the reason why offense is a conversation in the Lord's lips about the timing of his return is because he's saying, listen, guys, if you don't get on my team and get my heart and understand what I'm doing, many are going to be offended. Mike, my pastor, Mike Bickle, has this thing. He made this little thing out of Matthew 24 and Luke 21 called Fold, F-O-L-D. And, he, and it break, he breaks down how fear, F O. O offense, L lust, and D deception are the four like key things that Jesus really hits on pastorally in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 at the timing of his return, right? And so if we don't begin the journey now, because we've got time, like we've got time, and it's not like quit your job. That's not, that's not what we're asking you. It's not like don't have a nice house. It's not like don't have a nice car. It's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is, is you got to deal with these dynamics in your heart. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, Emily preached out of Isaiah 63, how Isaiah sees Jesus in the future actually covered in blood, not the blood from the cross, the blood that he's actually going to shed when he actually physically kills and murders those that stand in opposition to him when he returns. In Isaiah 63, he goes, who is this that I'm seeing? This is about Isaiah, guys. The man who is entrusted with more information on the return of Jesus than anybody. There's more in Isaiah than anywhere in the Bible about the return of the Lord. And that man who is entrusted with that much revelation gets a glimpse of Jesus in Isaiah 63. And he says, who is this man coming from Basra who looks like he got done treading a wine press? And if you fast forward, he's talking about Revelation, I believe it's 19. And so point being is we got to wrestle a little bit of like, oh man, Lord, like I want to make sure that in because, I mean, be thankful you live in the most beautiful place ever, okay? Be thankful. Like, but at the same time, in your gratitude, be careful basking in the glory of Lakeway, Texas. Make sure that we keep that readiness. Make sure that we keep that, 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 that sobriety within us to say, Lord, I'm so thankful for how you've blessed me. I'm so thankful that I live in Austin, Texas. I'm so thankful for all that you've given me. And I'm going to enjoy this. But Lord, make sure, God, if there's any part of my heart that gets off the path in pursuit of this, Lord, get, deal with me quickly, God, because I want to be someone that's going to stand with you in that day, be your friend, and actually be an answer to my friends whose lives are crumbling. Not just the answer, because the answer in that day is not just going to be, hey, God loves you. The answer in that day is going to be, hey, let me open the scriptures to you. This was already talked about. All the conspiracy stuff becomes quick, becomes truth real fast, because you're opening the word and you're going, yeah, no, this is real. Does that make sense? And here's the, here's the good news. The good news is that Revelation twenty two seventeen gives us a prophetic promise of what the church is going to look like in the end of the age. Yeah, look at this. This right here is, in my opinion, the greatest prophecy for the church in the Bible. Look at the miracle of this. The spirit and the bride say come. Pause for a second. We go, amen. No, listen, listen, hold on. Literally, the entire church of everybody, all believers in that day, will all be saying the exact same thing 
that Holy Spirit is saying, which according to John 16, the, favorite, the Holy Spirit's favorite thing to do is not tongues, healing, and deliverance. His favorite thing to do, in, according to John 16, is to take the things that are of God and declare them back to our hearts. There's a day of human history where the bride has reached a place of maturity where with one accord we're all gripped with the same thing and our prayer life all is saying the same exact thing and we're going to be saying, come Lord Jesus. No more double door, double honor, double favor words. That stuff's about to be done with and we're about to shift into something a little more prophetic, a little more deep, a little bit more oil filled and there's an, can you believe it? I mean, can you imagine Hope, is it Hope Church next door? Hope Rock, Hyde Park Baptist, Bethel Austin, ACF, fill in the blank. Every, every church, every believer who's still standing in that day, all together, you're gonna, go, you're gonna go have coffee with pastor at Hope Rock. Hey, bro, what do you think the Lord's saying to you right now? Oh, dude, I am so gripped. The only thing that I can say is come Lord Jesus. You're like, oh, really? And then you go down to Hyde Park Baptist and Kai Bowman, man, what's the Lord talking to you about in this season? Dude, every time I get with him, I just cry, and I know I got to ask him to come back. You're like, whoa, for real? And then ElijahList.com, the word of the Lord for the day. You, you, you log into ElijahList.com, and every, prof and every prophet's saying the same thing. Come, Lord Jesus. And here, but here, here's the thing. Here's what's so insane about it. What's so insane about it is there's coming such a marital bridal like understanding that we're not going to be able to take it any longer that he's not here and we're going to reach a place of maturity where praying for more favor in our business just is not providing the same jazz it did last week you know like praying you know when we see the lord breakthrough in our finances it's just not going to excite us like it used to that stuff's great but we're going to get to a place where nothing else is satisfying the craving within us to say Come, Lord Jesus. I mean, you know, Ephesians 5 tells us that, you know, we're gonna, the bride's going to be presented pure and spotless and all those things. Now, check this out. 2 Peter 3, you guys got those verses? If not, I can just, I can just rip, rifle them off real quick. So 2 Peter 3, there's two things I, wanna, I want to uh, say to you about this, and I'm going to end with Matthew 9. So in 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 3, yes, stay right here. This is, so 2 Peter 3 is a whole end time chapter, and it's a prophecy about basically this is what it's gonna be like in that day. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Then it goes on to basically say that basically what, okay, so let me just sum up 2 Peter 3 for you. 2 Peter 3 is a warning to believers that are trying to keep this tension that I'm talking about, and he's saying, hey, I just want you to know that many scoffers, Christians, many believers are gonna try to talk you out of what you're talking about. They're gonna say, bro, chill out, rest. And it actually goes on to say, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Have you ever gotten into an end time conversation with somebody and heard someone go, bro, every generation someone has said it's the end times. Listen, when you got a friend that says that, be like, hey, can I read a verse to you? The Lord warned me about you. No, 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 don't say that. 
you know. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Don't say that. Warn them. No, warn them that, hey, be careful what you're saying right now. Because you guys, because here's what it goes on to talk about. You know, you know, the, you know the saying in 2 Peter 3, a day in the Lord is a thousand years? That's in this chapter. The context of a day in the Lord is a thousand years is an end time context because what it's saying is, is what feels like, you know, what is thousands of years in our mind is one day to the Lord. He's got vengeance in his heart and he is so desiring for a people that'll lock arms with him and say, I want to wrestle this out and I want to be one of those guys and girls that's going to stand with you in that day and be able to help instruct others. Now, I want you to go uh, to verse um, 11. This is the crazy one. Watch this. Put up verse 11 for me, boss. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of, wait, wait, wait. Verse 12, sorry, verse 12, next one. Watch this. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. So Peter's saying, listen, I want you to live in a certain way. Live in a way of holiness. Live in a way of urgency. Position yourself because, listen, I want you to be a people that are watching for my return, waiting for my return, but this word is a trip. Hastening my return. Go Google what hastening means in the dictionary. Hastening actually means to cause something to happen before its original intent. So now hold on here. All the Matthew 24 guys that want to talk you out of urgency, but no one knows the day or the hour. Okay, that is so taken out of context. Because what we, cause, cause what, what Matthew 24 is saying, like you can't be like, hey, May 17th, 2036 at 3.30. It's happening, it's going down. No, but the scriptures make it so clear that he will come and he will let everybody know and they will know and discern the timing of the season. But now this hastening word is a trip because what it's hinting at is we can make choices. This is going to sound so heretical. We can make choices that speed up this process because let me tell you what Jesus is not coming back for. A bride who doesn't want him to. And, and the reason why we don't want the Lord to come back is because we've all got a little bit of knowledge that it's going to be kind of hard in that day, and it exposes our American dream. Because we know that in his return, he's going to shake everything that can be shaken, and it says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. So when we go, mm, I, don't, I don't really want him to come back right now. I preach, the God, I preach end time stuff on TikTok like a maniac. And, and so many people on TikTok comment on my end time stuff and go, I don't, to be honest, I don't want him to come back right now. And the reason why they say that is not because they're necessarily wrestling with if they're ready in their soul. They're not sure they're ready for their dream to get crushed. And what I'm not saying, though, is that the Lord isn't also going to supernaturally take care of us in the midst of it all, too. I think we're going to have stuff happen beyond our wildest dreams. Gas prices are going to get to $28 a gallon or something. <laughs> And it's just going to work out. <laughs> it's working out so far. It's only costing me like 30 bucks more a month. I'm not tripping that bad yet. Hey, we paid a lot in Nashville, though. It was like 470 in Nashville at this one gas station. <laughs> That's that city gas. <laughs> Maybe out here in Lakeway, they got it down a little bit. I don't know. But point is, is yes, the Lord's going to do all kinds of great things. But listen, guys, we've got to get our heart connected to this. Now, hold on. Matthew 9. This is, so, so you go, okay, Josh, holy smokes, I'm just screaming at me. What do I do now? 
my heart's burning, but I don't know, what, what, like, what am I going to do? Start studying the end times? Maybe. But before you do that, Matthew 9 gives us a little insight. This is going to hit home to you guys because I know you guys are in a season of mourning. I know some dear, dear fathers have passed in, in the last six months here in this house. And what I'm about to talk about in Matthew 9 right now, you're gonna, for those of you who are experiencing the mourning of death, think Matthew 9 is going to be an interesting perspective for you now that you're seeing it and you're feeling something so unique. So in Matthew 9, what ends up happening is, yeah, just keep it here for a second. Jesus' disciples, or sorry, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus. And they ask him kind of this brilliant question. It was a good, it was a, I think it was a really good practical question. They come to Jesus and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you guys don't? It's a great question. Because remember, they've just been with John the Baptist with him in the wilderness. And this dude's got him fasting. He's a maniac. He's eating bugs. And he's like, he's coming. The Lord's coming. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like being with John. And these guys are real humans. I mean, think about Jesus' disciples. They all flaked out bad. Okay, so how much more John's disciples? They weren't even with the, they weren't with the divine. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so I can imagine they're trying, they're like, John's trying to convince them that the less they eat, you know, the better it's gonna be. And trust me, guys, like this, this is a part of it, you know? Like, and they're like, they're trying, you know, they're out there hungry. Like, I can imagine it was hard being, being the disciples of John the Baptist. Now, now the one that John's been telling them is coming is here, okay? And they're like, they're peeking over the fence at the wedding, you know, and they're like, wait a second. Dude, I haven't eaten like three days. Now, I haven't eaten three days. I, th I thought not eating helped help this thing out. Dude, he's crushing the wine with the guys. Like, he's eating the meat. Like, wait, what is going on? Like, you know, and they're probably going. <laughs> so one of the gang goes in backs and reports and goes, guys, Jesus is like crushing, dude. He's eating. He's feasting. I don't know. I, I, I believe John. I mean, he's here. John told us he was coming, but maybe John was off on the fasting one. I mean, there's one thing I'm going to challenge. It's the fasting one, you know? Like, why not? If I don't got to fast, I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I don't have to, goodbye. Which, which, by the way, none of you have to, but you get to, and you're missing out on so much if you don't. So, so they come to him, and then Jesus says the craziest thing back to them. Watch this. Verse 15. Jesus says to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. It's like, what? Can't you just say something normal, Jesus? Like, why do you talk like that? I mean, they had to pause for a minute. Good thing Matthew was there writing all this down. You know? I mean, Jesus introduces a wedding conversation. He goes, why would the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is here? They're like, well, I don't know why you're talking about that, but yeah, why would, why would they? <laughs> you know? He goes, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. Some, some verses say, then they will mourn, then they will fast. So Jesus lets them in on a little something. He goes, no, John was right. You guys, there was an ache in the earth for my coming. And, I, and, I'm, we, and there's a man marked, the man sent here, the messenger, the one preparing the way of the Lord according to the prophecy of Isaiah. No, he was right on. His fasting was connected to his longing for my coming. He goes, but hold on a second, I'm here now. So right now, 
There's no reason for you guys to be giving yourselves at this intensity to fasting because I'm letting you in on a little secret. Fasting and mourning are best friends. They're like Batman and Robin. They go together. So Jesus is going, right now, I'm here. You're never gonna have this moment again until that day that I come. You can talk to me, you can smell me, you can touch me, you can ask me any question. I'm here physically. So right now, you have me as near and as close as you're ever gonna have it physically. So right now, fasting's not the conversation. But there's a day coming when I'm gonna be taken away. Then they will mourn, then they will fast. And I imagine, again, I'm just gonna kind of be fun with you guys. This, this is why it's so important to meditate in the Bible because we can, we can kind of get lost in the story. I imagine what begins to happen so you know the story, Jesus, you know the whole story, okay? He dies, raised from the dead, spends time with him, has his final meeting with him, blows on him, gives him the Holy Spirit, gives him some instructions, and shoop, <laughs> he's gone. And what we imagine is that the disciples are just like, oh, all right, let's go. Let's do it. All right, all right, this time we get it. I mean, how many times do you not get it? 20 years down the road, you still don't get it. I'm 12 years, I'm 12 and a half years into my journey with Jesus, and I still do dumb things as if I didn't get it the first time. So I, I don't think the disciples turned into these Christian soldier machines. All right, guys, you heard what he said. To the upper room. It's time to get business. Let's go. Guys, just, just a few days ago, I mean, they're all denying him. Okay, it's not like all of a sudden they turn into superhumans. Like Jesus denying to a little girl. One dude hung himself. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy story, you know. They're, they're, they're fresh off of failure, okay. Jesus descends and he's gone. And, and I don't think they're like, okay, I get it. Now I'm listening. Like, okay. I imagine this journey takes a little bit. I imagine five days later, ten days later, it's setting in. We miss him. We miss him. It's settling in a little bit. Quiet nights around the fire, cooking fish, whatever they're eating, right? Some quiet nights, just paused and pondering. And day by day, it's starting to set in. He's really not here. He's really not just on a trip. Well, he kind of is, but he, he's on vacation for some thousands of years. <laughs> and, oh, wait, he's really dead. Or sorry, he's really gone. I'm sorry, I was just thinking on the practical level of when you lose a loved one. He's really not coming back. And I imagine these moments begin to hit them around the fire where they're just remembering moments. You know, I just lost one of my closest friends in, in uh, actually in December, one of my dearest running buddies. Went to the hospital, wasn't feeling good, died uh, 15, 20 days later. And I know that when you lose somebody that's close to you, inevitably at some point, you, you try to relive the weeks leading up to it and you can't help but ask yourself the question, if I really would have known that this was gonna go down like this, I would have made a bunch of different decisions leading up to that. If I would have known, if we really would have believed Jesus, you know, that like he's gonna descend, you know, or, or ascend into heaven, like for real. You know, if I really would have known that when I went and visited Brett Engelkiss at the hospital right before Christmas, before I was about to go on a Christmas trip with my kids, I mean, 
I'm not in my mind whatsoever thinking that he will be dead in 10 days from now. This is one of my closest friends that just died in December. We're in there kicking it, talking about 2 Peter 3. <laughs> my last conversation with my buddy Brett was 2 Peter 3. If I would have known that 10 days from now, I would be on a Zoom call with his wife watching him breathe his last breath while praying for him to be resurrected, just a crazy story. I would definitely not have been worried about getting back home to my kids for some dinner we had or something at 5.30. I mean, I'm squeezing in my little two hours of Brett while he's dying in the hospital. Little do I know he's about to die. I would have been with him all night. And it's in that moment where the disciples are gonna have to ask the question. They're going, oh my gosh. If we really would have known, known, like for real, that we wouldn't have this opportunity again, what kind of questions would we have asked him? You know, what, and this is not to produce like shame for the people that are mourning a loss, but this is what mourning does. You can't help it. You can't help but think about that person's life and go, man, you know? But luckily there's no shame. There's no like, the Lord's not like, hey, should have. Like, no, 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 not at all. But when it comes to this thing with Jesus, the disciples are having to navigate now. If we really would have known, we would have asked him a thousand more questions. Man, we would have this, we would have this. I, I can imagine crying moments, laughing moments. Remember that time, you know, like, you know, just, I mean, who knows what these conversations are like. And then at some point though, they hit a wall because they go, I would do anything to have another night with Jesus, physically. I would do anything, guys. If we would have known it was gonna go down like this, dude, I would, I, I would have a thousand questions ready to go, you know, like, and at some point, I don't know, again, this is extra biblical now. I'm just trying to imagine what it was like. Matthew must have pulled out that tablet, <laughs> the, the pen and paper, or the wood that he carved it on, whatever the story is. Guys, wait, I, I imagine at some point, the light bulb goes off and Matthew remembers that conversation that he wrote down. Guys, wait a second, Jesus talked to us about this. He said that there would be a day when, he, when we would mourn. This is what we're feeling. Guys, we're mourning like, and he said that in that day we'll fast. And they're probably going, yeah, you know, food just hasn't cut it this last 10 days. Like I'm super grateful for the meal train but at the end of the day, it's not, it, it takes care of a physical need, but it can't ever take care of the deeper thing. And the disciples are going, wait a second, Jesus said that there'd be a mourning and a fasting. And at some point, the light bulb goes off and they begin to realize that one of the most practical things that they can do when they're feeling that aching, how many of you in the room have had moments where you were awakened to the presence of God or something, and you had that feeling of, man, I'm hungry for more of God, right? I'm hungry for more of God. I don't know what that looks like, and then it wears off the next day or the next two days, because what do we practically do? You're all for sure burning right now because of what I'm saying, for sure. Everyone in the room is stirred to some degree, for sure. And every single one of you stirred, and you want to go home and do something now, don't you? Everyone in the room, to some degree, is feeling that right now. But then after a couple of days, it's like, what do we do? Read more, worship more, watch more Stephen Furtick teachings. Like, what do I do? And Jesus tells us, he says, let me let you in on a little secret. The most practical way that you can steward this ache for closeness and nearness. Now I know positionally at Colossians 2, because of the blood of Jesus, I've been brought near. So I'm not trying to earn something by fasting. I'm not fasting so that Jesus comes closer. 
I'm fasting because if it's left up to me, there's no way in my fleshly condition of the things that I'm more concerned about that I can feel the level of nearness that God would say is available. I can sit next to my wife every night on the couch for five hours, but I can be on my phone doing something else completely unaware that we're almost touching. We can sleep in the same bed for 20 years, but if I don't turn, do something to turn my attention to her, years can go by and I don't even realize that she's next to me. And so what fasting does is it's the most practical thing that you can get into a rhythm of doing to facilitate the hunger that he's putting inside of you. Now that's intimacy, but then Jesus connects it to his return because here's what he ends up saying. Go to the next verse. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth with an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the, and, the, and the tear is made. Next verse, and I'm ending right here. Verse 17. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins. So as we, this is why we gotta get into the lifestyle of fasting that's not connected to breakthrough in something. 21-day fasts are awesome. 40-day fasts are great. We're believing for the revival in Kansas City at the Send Gathering on May 14th. Awesome. You know, we're doing our River in the Hills 21-day fast at the beginning of the year, and we got our list of things for breakthrough. Awesome. But that kind of fasting will never sustain you because you'll constantly have to find something new that you're fasting for, and then what you find out is the timing of his answer never usually happens at the end of the 40 days. And so keep doing those kind of fasts, but the fasting that God is after is a deeper morning bridegroom paradigm where you get into weekly rhythms of, I'm gonna take one day a week, and I'm gonna skip a few meals. I'm gonna go till dinner that one day a week, and I'm gonna carve out these spaces in this time, and you get yourself faithful to that, you'll find that longing increasing, increasing, which then ends up transferring from, I'm so grateful for how near I feel you, but now, Lord, I'm realizing my paradigms of your return have been off. I love you. You're my husband. I need you to come back. And that's what the Lord's doing on the earth. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.